Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 3, how after man sinned, God didn't send a cherubim, seraphim, or angel, but the Bible shows the approach of the God of all grace to Adam and Eve. Download this message for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or search for the Friendship with God podcast on iTunes.com. Tom Cantor wants to invite you out to our free event, Museum Day 2014, on Saturday, September 27th at the Creation and Earth History Museum. We'll have lots of great guest speakers, including Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort from Living Waters Ministries, Jason Lyle of the Institute for Creation Research, and Eric Hovind of Creation Today. Our Noah's Ark theme this year will have animals after the ark, including zebras, zorses, and legless lizards, all animals of different kinds, including a Noah's Ark adventure land with rides, games, petting zoos, bouncies, face painting, and more for all the children. We'll also be screening the new Genesis 3D movie. We'll have food concessions, including catastrophic coffee, Ice Age ice cream, and Shim Ham and J-Peth's barbecue. We'll also have our Creation Museum open, as well as our bookstore open, from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Saturday, September 27th. For more information, you can go to creationsd.org, creationsd, as in San Diego, creationsd.org, or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Now, here's Tom Cantor teaching us from Genesis chapter 3, how after man sinned came the approach of the God of all grace to Adam and Eve. But I remember getting on a plane one time and sitting next to this gigantic, it was so big, African-American man. And so I started out the conversation by saying something like, praise the Lord, I don't remember, something like that, you know. And this man had a voice like James Earl Jones, okay? When I said, praise the Lord, this giant of a man leans over me and in this booming voice says to me, and who might that Lord be? Just like that, you know. And uh, I was petrified, you know. I thought <laughs> I felt like the size of a mouse or something. I, and I looked up and I said, the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, like that. And he says, all right now, you know, just like James Earl Jones would say. You know, that's very important. It was very important what he was asking. Because when you say Lord, you say God or praise the Lord, people ask, who are you talking about? Who are you talking about? We can ask that in this text. It says, it says, the text says, the Lord God walked in the garden. And we could say, and who might that Lord be? You know, you could do that. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ himself who walked in the garden. That was the same Lord Jesus Christ who appeared to Abraham in Genesis 18 in the plains of Mamre when he was sitting in his tent, remember? That was the same Lord Jesus Christ who wrestled all night with Jacob in Genesis 32, and having won the wrestling match, he changed his name to Israel. That was the same Lord Jesus Christ who Moses and the 70 elders went up onto Mount Sinai, and it says they saw God. That's who they saw in Exodus 24. And that was the same Lord Jesus Christ in Judges 13, who Manoah and his wife both saw when they said, and he was worried he was going to die. And his wife says, well, he would have killed you by now. Don't worry about it. And that was the same Lord Jesus Christ that Isaiah the prophet saw in Isaiah chapter 6, when he saw the train filling the temple, holy, holy, holy. And that was the same Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the wonderful thought that was born in a manger in Bethlehem. And the same Lord Jesus Christ that hung on a cross 
as the righteous servant justifying many, dying for our sins. And the same Lord Jesus Christ before whom every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess he's Lord. So here we are in Genesis 3, and we see him approaching Adam and Eve after they've sinned. And that picture is, is, is like a Kodak moment right there. So you see him, he's approaching Adam and Eve, and, he's, and, he, and it's exactly as John describes him in John 1.14. You see, when he approaches, you see the glory. The glory what? The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. And they're going to have to come smell the coffee, so there's going to be the truth. But there's grace. There's grace here. And this is what's coming out of his mouth. Grace and truth. But the big point of this, and to remember, is that he came personally. He came personally to Adam and Eve. And he would be the same person to come and die for every person, personally, on that cross. And so it says there, and then note in verse 9, the Lord God called unto Adam. Those are important words. God called to him, and then it says, he called unto Adam and said unto him. Because, you see, again, it's, it's the personal address. It's God saying, Adam, and he's talking now, right? He's talking to him. That's the, you know, and, and this is so wonderful, God's, Adam could sit there and say, this is so wonderful. God is speaking to me. I mean, after all, what I did to him, he's calling to me. He's speaking to me, right? And he knows everything I did, even though he can't see me behind this tree right now. Remember the definition of a best friend? You remember it? A best friend is the person who knows the worst about you and loves you just the same. That's the definition of a best friend. That's God. He knows the worst about Adam right now, and he loves him just the same. That's it. And he goes there. And he says to them, he, he says to them this, this, these words. He says, the Lord God called unto Adam and said, where art thou? You know what that is? That's like a plea. That's a plea from God. You know, there's a professor at a Bible seminary, and he was looking to turn his students, he wanted them to, 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 to make them into evangelists. You know, not just understand what the Bible says and all the verses and doctrines, but you want to make him evangelist. And he knew as very, that an evangelist, the key, fa- the key characteristic of evangelist is his heart, the heart of the evangelist. And so he wanted to teach his kids, I mean his students, about the heart of God toward the lost. So he took this, this verse here, and what he did is he asked them one by one to stand up and recite the verse, the one we're looking at now. And so, and, and, and as he did that, he wondered, as he listened to it, he's a very wise old man, sat there and he listened, and by the way they recited the verse, he was perceiving what they thought about the heart of God, or what they understood to be the heart of God for the lost. And so the different ones got up, one right after the other, and one got up, read it, second one got up, read it, third one got up, read it, and... Those three words he listened to. Where art thou? So as he, And he noticed he could see some of the students stood up, and when they read it, it was like, uh, where art thou? Like an irritation in their voice, like a firmness. And others were, where art thou? Like a snappiness in their voice, like that. Judgment, severity, calling on the carpet. 
And, and the professor just sat, and he realized that he was putting these students into different categories by how they perceived the love of God was for the lost. And then there was one young student that rose to his feet, and he was in the back of the classroom, and he kind of broke rank with all the other students. And when he got up, he read it like this, Where are thou? And he had like a sob in his voice, and there was deep passion and feeling in his voice when he read it. You know what the old professor did? He rose to his feet, he pointed at that fella, and he said, young man, God bless you. You will make a great evangelist. Because he had the heart of God. He had the heart of God. He knew that this wasn't those other ways, that when God called out there, it was filled with passion. It was filled with compassion. For uh, There's the compassion of God, and he reflected it. And for anyone who's lost, it, 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 just, it doesn't matter the place, but God calls out with that passion, with that compassion in his voice. And so he's asking, Adam, Adam, how's it going for you? Is it well with your soul, Adam? You know, this was the first question that God asked in the Bible. It's a very important question. And God was really asking, he was really asking him, to look at, look at yourself, Adam. I mean, God didn't lose track of where Adam and Eve were. I hope you know that, right? Like I lose track of Cheryl at home and yell, Cheryl, where are you? So I can find out and hear and go in that direction. God wasn't saying, oh, so many trees, such a big garden. Next time I'll make a smaller one, you know. I can't find Adam. <laughs> it's not easy being God. You know, walking around. He wants to call him back to himself. And those words, God walking in the garden, after man had sinned, shows the approach of God. The approach of grace. See, he came personally to Adam and Eve. And he would be the same person to come and die for every person personally on that cross. A best friend is the person who knows the worst about you and loves you just the same. That's the definition of a best friend. That's God. He knows the worst about Adam right now. And he loves them just the same. This is the beginning of something great here with God. And to see it, uh, turn to Romans chapter 2, verse 4. This is something great that God is doing here. And we want to really hone in on this and see what's God up to. And he says here, Despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering. So we stop there and say, what goodness? What forbearance? What long-suffering? is Paul talking about here. And then he says, not knowing that the goodness, and you could also say, and the forbearance, and the long-suffering, but let's just stick with the text, that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Leadeth thee to repentance. That's the goodness of God. It leads to repentance. Now, remember we saw already about how good God was in Genesis 1. Everything was good. It was good, verse 10. It was good, verse 12, in Genesis 1. It was good, verse 18. It was good, verse 21. It was good, verse 25. And finally, in verse 31, it was very good. Everything's good. Everything's so good. So very good. It was good. Why? Uh, for many reasons. One of them is that every need was provided for by God. Man had every need provided for by God. So it's all very good. I wonder, do you ever take the time to just stop in your life and think about how good God is? You know, we went around. We got these rat races that we run in. You know, we got to do this. We got to do that. We're all in them. And we didn't do that and that. So we put it down for the next time list. 
And we don't take time to consider creation. You know, we're, we're worried about how we're going to argue with the evolutionists. But, but just to consider creation. You know, I learned the value of taking time to do this about creation because some time ago, some years ago, we had a number of foreign students living in our home. It was like a little United Nations in there. We had from Japan and Germany and France and they're all over, plus our kids from the U.S., so there they were. And one of the kids who was living with us, Toby, Toby, and Toby was from Bavaria. He was actually the son of our landlords. We had an office there. And Toby loved the sky. He loved the sky. He loved the sky and the clouds. And he used to go in our backyard, and he would just lie on his back, and for hours he'd just be up there looking up, you know, for a long time, you know, thought there was something wrong with him. But he just did that. And he would, he would watch the clouds move. And, and that was the reason why he uh, went into flying gliders. He, he became a glider flyer. And, and he, he would talk about what it was like, you know, the noise of the plane to be towed up there in the sky. And then he said, then there was that moment when he was cut loose. And then it all got quiet, he says, and totally still. And he says he's alone. The only person in the plane is him. He's alone. He's surrounded with the beauty of the sky and the clouds. Creation's good. Creation's good. We need to take a little time to look at it. Why is the creation good? Because God's good. That's why the creation's good. Because God's good. That's a transition. That A very important transition that's left for man to figure out and consider on his own. I see that everything is so good... And the reason it's so good is because God is so good. That's a very important transition. Well, Adam had seen how good God was in the creation. But Adam has no idea at this point how good God's going to show himself to be. He has no idea that how good God's going to be to rescue him from his sin. Adam has fallen. He, stretches, he needs to stretch out his hand to God to be held, and he's about to see the goodness of God when God takes his hand, like we talked about, and holds it tight. He's suffering, Adam is suffering, under the weight of this guilt and the shame and the feeling of nakedness, but he's about to see how God is going to take that burden off of him. You know, he, he, he's in a panic, he's terrified, he's afraid of God, but Adam is about to see how God's going to make peace with him. It's wonderful. He's about, Adam is about to do exactly what Peter says in 1 Peter 4.19, where Peter says, would you please commit the keeping of your soul, why Peter, as unto a faithful creator. Have you seen in his creation that he was faithful? Take it to the next level. And commit the keeping of your soul, means saving of your soul. He's about to see that. So Adam is about to take all his knowledge of how good and faithful God is, and to and to now say, okay, God, would you please be good to me to save me? Well, man sinned, he's become lost, and God's going to save him here and reconcile him. And God has a course. This is called God's course that leads to repentance. This is the program. God's course that leads to repentance. So God's question is, first step in the course is, where art thou? That's the first step. You're not ready for the cure until you see the disease. Okay, so Adam, where are you? Well, where was Adam? He was shivering in fear, as we talked about. He's pitifully behind a tree, 
pathetically covered with these fig leaves. He's, he's aware of his sinfulness. He's aware of his fearfulness. He's aware of his nakedness. He's aware of his stupidness. And the first step in God's course uh, to, to repentance is, where are you, Adam? Where are you? It was Adam's choice at that point to either whether or not to let God bring him through the course. To whether he was going to respond to the forbidden fruit. Whether he was going to listen to God say, how's that forbidden fruit working for you now, Adam? You still have it in your hand? Are you better off now? Sounds political. Are you better off now than you were before? Are you satisfied that now your eyes are open? Or Adam, but no, Adam was ready to cry out, no, I'm miserable. I'm naked. I'm terrified. I'm stupid. I'm not where I was. I'm not where I want to be. And with those kind of responses, God says, God says, okay, now we can move you to the next step in the course that leads to repentance. But keep in mind, that was Adam's choice. Adam did not have to accept getting into God's course of repentance. He could have said, no, I won't accept it. I'm not wrong. I'm smarter than the average bear. That's what he could have said. I can fix this myself, and I, and, and I don't have to accept all this humiliation. He could have been like Cain. Tragic words we're going to see later on in Genesis 4, 16. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Adam could have checked out like Cain did and said, I'm out of here. I won't submit to God. I'm not going to get into God's course of repentance. That's not for me. And God has many, many ways to bring people to his course to repentance. It could be trouble at home. It could be trouble at work. It could be trouble at the law. Every one of those is God's first step in his course to lead to repentance. And no one has to accept that course. And they, they, everyone has a free choice. Anyone can say, I'll take the next step, God. Or they can say, no, I won't go. You know, we saw a very dramatic example of this on Thursday, June 28th. In Judge Bruce Cohen's, I have a friend named Bruce Cohen, but he's not a judge. In Judge Bruce Cohen's courtroom from Phoenix, Arizona, stood a 53-year-old Michael Marin. This is a father of four grown children, a Yale-educated lawyer, made a lot of money as a successful stock trader, and uh, he was, had a Playboy lifestyle. And in 2008, Michael Marin had $900,000 in his bank account. But in July of 2009, he had a little bit less, $50 in his bank account. And he was looking at a monthly mortgage for his 10,000 square foot mansion of $17,250. He had to pay that every month. And he had a big upcoming balloon payment that was going to be due of $2.3 million. And he owed $34,000 in back taxes. Apart from that, he was in very good financial shape. So, <laughs> so what does he do? Michael Marin says, I'm smarter than the average bear. So he sets his house on fire. And he sets his house on fire. And then he puts on his scuba tank and mask, because he's smarter than the average bear, and he climbs out the burning uh, house. Well, the investigators thought, that's a little suspicious. You know, I mean, it's not everybody who puts on a scuba tank and mask. And so anyway, so in the courtroom, 
last Thursday, as he's receiving his guilty verdict from the judge, and the judge is reading to him his, his, his guilty verdict, and that's God's goodness. That was God's goodness to him. It was all over Michael because God was saying, stop and bringing Michael into this course of repentance, he was saying to Michael at that time, where are you, Michael? Michael, where are you? Look at yourself. Look at how lost you are, Michael. Look at how, let me bring you on my course of repentance and salvation. He was faced with that, that, that choice. And in that courtroom, he made a decision. Because just as the verdict was being read to him, he put his hands in his in his. And he put his head in his hands like this, and he seemed to slip something into his mouth like that. And then he reached down, and he took a, he had a sports bottle, took a swig of a sports bottle, and the judge kept reading the verdict to Michael. He coughs, he gags, he doubles over, he falls to the floor. The attorney cries out, Your Honor, Your Honor, Your Honor, and he's pronounced dead. What happened? God brought Michael to the end of himself. And God was calling to Michael, where art thou, Michael? Where are you? And in that call was God's plea to Michael, like Adam. Let me lead you to repentance. I'm good. It'll be good for you. It'll be better for you. Trust me. Get into my course of repentance. But every person has that decision. They can say yes, they can say no. Michael and Cain, tragic decisions of no. They wouldn't go on God's course leading them to repentance. Adam and Eve... The right one. They said, yes. Us, we've all sinned. Every single one of us. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Take away the word all and write your name. Oh, that's easy for me. For Tom Cantor has sinned and come short of the glory of God. Oh, has he sinned. Just like with Adam. But as soon as it happens, the good God comes in with his course leading to Repentance. And he says, and here again, each one of us can fill in the name. Where art thou, Tom? Where art thou? That's the God saying, stop, look at yourself. Look at how disturbed you are. Look at how nervous you are. Look at how fearful you are inside. Look at how naked you feel. Look at how exposed and afraid you are. And then let me take you through the course. Such a change. It'll be a new birth. And the problem of your desires... They're going to change. You're going to have new desires. Throw down those weapons of rebellion. Trust me. So with the question of where art thou, God is saying, it's just pretty tiring. It's exhausting to live a life without God. It's it's frustrating to be all the time silencing, conscious. That's wrong. Ah. It's fatiguing to be on the run from God. It's tiring. And God's saying, haven't you had enough? Aren't you ready to surrender? And let me lead you, and lead you where? Right into the, the arms of the outstretched arms of the Lord Jesus Christ who says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my rope upon you, learn of me. I'm meek, lowly in heart. You'll find rest, peace, rest to your souls. My burden, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, thank you so much for being the God that doesn't cast us off. Lord, for being the God who comes after us when we've gone away from God and sinned against you and offended you. And you come, Lord, with your program, a wonderful program, Lord, that, that 
is a program of grace and truth. Truth to face the sin, but grace to be forgiven. Lord, help us to avail ourselves and not to be runners away from God of each one of us in our lives. And help, Lord, also us to be helpers to others who are outside and on their, and on their fugitive run from God. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer today in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. As we mentioned at the start of our broadcast, Museum Day is coming up at the Creation and Earth History Museum, whom Tom Cantor is the owner and operator of. It's happening Saturday, September 27th, with speakers like Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Eric Hoven, and Jason Lyle. We want you to be a part of this wonderful free event on Saturday, September 27th. It's Museum Day 2014 from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. here in Santee, California. Right in Southern California, we'd like to invite everyone to attend or tell a friend you know that lives in Southern California. For more information, go to CreationSD, as in San Diego, CreationSD.org. Or you can call us or support us in this Bible teaching radio program at 800-247-3051. We do need your financial support as we're a listener-supported program. So please donate a one-time or monthly donation to continue this Bible teaching radio program. 800-247-3051 or go and donate online at friendshipwithgod.org that's friendshipwithgod.org coming up at the Creation and Earth History Museum on Saturday, September 27th a free event for all of Southern California we'll have speakers like Tom Cantor Ray Comfort and even Eric Hovind we'd like to encourage you to bring you and your family out as we'll have a Noah's Ark theme this year with lots of animals games, rides and the new Genesis 3D movie For more information, go to creationsd.org or again, call us at 800-247-3051.